and just share with you the journey. Because a lot of times I think at Bethel we get these raw, raw, you know, supernatural lifestyle. This is wonderful and amazing. Um, but there's definitely a journey. Um, and so we wanted to kind of share that with you. And my prayer is that it, as you sit the table with us, God will have something different for everybody, a part of our story that will just encourage you, bless you, um, just keep you going, <laughs> something like that. But I did want to say thank you to Nick and Jess just really fast because we have the microphone now. But um, we do have a rule at Bethel, if you've been there very long, it's like, don't get real close to the new people that are going through school because they're all going to leave you, and it just gets too painful after a while. You know, you just say goodbye so many times, and you're just like, you know, you kind of date people. You know, how long you stick it? You know, you're around for a while or not, then we'll spend time with you. Well, it must have been the boat. I don't know what it was that we said yes, and um, immediately we just knew we had to break the rules and just let them into our hearts and... Um, we did. We literally did life with them, and they know all the dirty secrets. We just could be totally open and vulnerable with them, and honestly, that, two of the best friends we've ever had in our lives, and, you know, they talk about us. I'm like, I'm like, are they talking about us, or are they talking about somebody else? Because they see things. They saw things in us at a time when we were super low, super discouraged, and I, God really used them powerfully to just keep calling out the gold and just keep going guys keep going and so we love them to pieces we're jealous and if you want to send them back we'll be happy to take them back so anyway so we're just going to start with our story we're going to tag team um he tends to be the play-by-play -play and i tend to be the color commentator so just give us some grace and um hope you enjoy the story so. <laughs> yeah so jesus we just uh thank you for this time and God, we ask uh, not just for your blessing, but that you would move, Lord, that you would touch our hearts, uh, that you would tell us what you want to say, what's on your heart. Uh, so God, just watch over this time for each person here, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So, so just, we're going we're gonna to tell you kind of our story of what God did, but just real briefly for background stuff, you know, I grew up in a Christian family. Uh, I went to college where I did happen to play soccer. That's what we call it. I know you call it something different here. Um, played soccer, and then I also went to seminary. So lots of, lots of education, but also lots of religion. Um, I was full bore into religion and rules and all the things that you have to do as a Christian, and that becomes very weighty after a while. Um, I did not grow up in a Christian home. We were about as non-Christian pagan as you could possibly be. Um, my dad left when I was five. Um, got, my family got radically saved when I was about 12, 13, and just sold out for God from then. I knew what my other option was, so there wasn't another option. So I went after God with my whole heart. Um, first person to go to college, uh, went to New York uh, at 18 in a day and um, put myself through college. Uh, we met while he was in seminary, well, kind of, um, while we were both in college and uh, he went to the seminary where I had graduated school and was working. Um, we got married and um, we've been married for 25 years in a couple of weeks, August 3rd. And um, yeah, so yeah, that was a, that's just real quick. Okay. Yeah, so, so, so after uh, seminary, uh, we went to our first church, which was a very uh, formal coat and tie, hymnals in the, behind the chairs and all that sort of thing. We were there for eight years where I was an associate pastor. Uh, after that church, uh, we felt God lead us to go plant our own church. And so we went to plant a church. This is in New Jersey. I don't know how you know our geography, but it's about an hour away from New York City. Um, and uh, let's see, let's see. So this church that we were going to start, um, you know, we, we both had come out of, of this very conservative, almost fundamentalist kind of background. But God had been doing these little things along the way, uh, drawing our hearts to the Spirit and what the Spirit was doing. And so we knew there was more, but we didn't know exactly what it looked like. And so as we went to go plant this church, uh, we had seen this model that they called it the Word and Power Church that took all the, all the 
benefits and values of, of the word and good Bible preaching and teaching churches, but also got the values of the charismatic church and the spirit and all that that brought. So that's the model that we were going for, even though we didn't know what it looked like, we just kind of read about it. Um, so we did that for eight years, and we had a lovely church, and it was a wonderful time, but wow, was it exhausting. And at the end of those eight years, we were both just fried. We were worn out. Uh, we had no energy left. I, I was basically begging God to make a change. Uh, we loved our church. We loved the people. But you know, just the way we had done ministry probably relied too much on our strength and not enough on his strength. And we should be honest about that. So, um, so one day I'm in my office and I'm just praying to the Lord. And, you know, what are you doing? What's going on? What's next? And I, I clearly heard him say, not, not the audible voice, but just in my mind, um, I clearly heard him say, uh, you've, completed ev- you've successfully completed everything I've asked you to do. Now, at that moment, let me be honest, I felt like a failure. I felt like I'd done nothing for God. I felt like our church plant was a failure. And God says this, so what did I conclude? That was me, not God. So just a couple of days later, uh, we had a friend of ours who was kind of a marriage counselor, and she would let us come in for free, which we're so grateful for. And, um, <laughs> and she goes, let me pray for you. And she's one of these charismatic types. She didn't even pray. She didn't even say, dear Jesus, or anything like that. And she goes, I have a word for you. And we're like, okay. And she goes, I get this picture of a camp, but it's not like a Boy Scout camp. It's more like a military, like a boot camp. And I hear these words, uh, you've just successfully completed your training. Does that mean anything to you? I'm like, oh my goodness, are you kidding me? And then a couple of days later, uh, the head of our intercessors called me up and said, hey, can I come meet with you? I said, yeah, come on in. She shows up at my office. First words out of her mouth, are you leaving us? And I'm like, like, I'm the pastor of the church, okay? You don't just tell people. Like, if you're leaving, you determine how you're going to announce that to the people, okay? You don't just let that slip out, and all of a sudden the whole church knows. Ugh, terrible. So I said, hey, so great to see you. What did you come here to talk about? And she goes, ah, you're going to make me do this the hard way. She goes, okay. She goes, this is the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my life, but God told me I'm to come and tell you that you're released and you're free to go from our church. So three words in the span of, what, a week maybe, and uh, blown away. And so um, we worked out the timing of it. We resigned from our church. It was a beautiful parting. Um, we served communion to each. Uh, our church was probably, you know, this size. And uh, we had each family come up, and we served them communion as a family. We prayed and blessed over them. And then, um, then a couple of their elders came up, and they washed our feet and our children's feet. It was just this, you know, beautiful parting. It wasn't a bad separation. It was, it was beautiful. We didn't know how to make it better than it was. Um, And so we left, and we were so ready because God was leading us to the next adventure. (laughs) (laughs) So immediately we have an offer for a job. He calls his best friend in Boston who's got this big, successful church, and he's ecstatic. He's been trying to get us there for years. And so we're thinking, oh, this is amazing. We just close this door, and God beautifully opens this door. Come in. Isn't that how God works? <laughs> so we go up to Boston, and we interview a couple times. I bawl my eyes out the whole time. I cannot be happy about this, no matter what I do in my heart. Um, so we just we decided, you know what? This is not working. We've got to just put the pause button on and just wait till we have peace. And... So we just, we kind of, we, we hit the pause button. We just said, let's take some time. And God kept saying to me, just rest and wait, but be ready at a moment's notice. So we spent almost eight months just resting and waiting, but being ready at a moment's notice. I felt bipolar for a while there. Like, that is not an easy thing to tell somebody to do. No job. Um, yeah, no job. I had a, I had a job at the time. Um, so we just kept resting and waiting and um, in that time we didn't have a church to attend so I started listening to Bill Johnson's sermons Um, they didn't have they just had podcasts at the time he had already been to a couple conferences you know he was pretty excited about what he was hearing I'm like yeah whatever whatever so I'm listening to sermons and my heart is just coming alive I'm like wow God this is what my heart's been crying out for this is the word and spirit thing we've been longing for and we would joke and say why don't we go out there for vacation like that'd be awesome like yeah we don't have a job so we're not going there for vacation and then we would people would ask us if you could do anything what would it be and we were like 
we would go there for like a year, take a sabbatical and go out there and just learn what we've been missing, um, fill in the holes and stuff. Like that became our desire over time. So then. <laughs> so it w from the time that we resigned from the church, uh, eight months transpired of, of waiting and ready at a moment's notice. So nothing was happening. But then on one day, we got three different phone calls in the span of 30 minutes. Kid you not, while I'm on the phone with one person, the other phone would ring, and she would, and when I hung up, the third person, and basically all of them said the same thing. They all said, uh, we've been praying for you. One said, I've been fasting for you. And God says, you're supposed to go to California. Now, California meant nothing to us except Redding, California, where Bethel Church is. We had no desire to go to L.A. or Hollywood or San Francisco or any of that. It meant to us Bethel Church in Redding. And... Um, you know, the one lady said, she said, you know, it's like, it's like when the priest carried the ark across the Jordan. Remember, the Bible says it wasn't until the soles of their feet hit the water that that's when it parted. So it was one of these faith things that we, we had to literally step into the unknown, step into the water, and see what God was going to do. And so within 24 hours... Uh, we had two free plane tickets to, to uh, California. We lived on the East Coast. It's about a, what, about four-hour flight and about, it, for those of you who are not familiar with our country, it's about 50-some hours driving from where we live to where Reading is. 50, 55, something like that. And um, so, uh, so we had two free airline tickets. We had a place for the kids. We even had a place for the dog, which was amazing. What do you do with your dog if you're going to be gone for the week? And um, so we go out to Bethel, and we're all excited, and we're checking out this place, and we would get the craziest prophetic words. I mean, people would walk up to you in the hallway and give you a word, and you'd be like, oh, my goodness. Uh, we would go up to the front of the prayer line, and some you know, wee little 20-year-old would, you know, how can I pray for you? And we're like, well, just whatever God puts on your heart, you know. And, um, and she would say, you know, oh, I see you. Do you guys remember the old west? That they had those wagons that they went west in. We call them Conestoga wagons. She goes, I see a picture of a Conestoga wagon with pioneers in it, and they're headed west. Does that mean anything to you? And we're like, oh, my. Um, so just over and over, you know, I, there's a big, long story that I'm not going to take all the time to tell right now. But we had our children who were in junior high. So we would say sixth grade and eighth grade at that time. And they have a Christian school on the campus that goes up to eighth grade. And we were desperately trying to get our kids in. Well, long story short, they had two spots left, one in sixth grade and one in eighth grade. So we were able to get our kids into that. And so uh, we made this decision, you know, one hour before we had to race back down to San Francisco. San Francisco is about four hours from Reading. Uh, before we had to race down to the airport in San Francisco, we found a house that we were able to rent. And we signed the lease on a house. Um, we had 19 days from, from there to get, I forget where the 19 days starts, but somewhere from the phone calls to get back to New Jersey and then turn around, pack everything up as best we can. We owned a home, all this kind of stuff. Drive across the country, like I said, it takes five days, um, with a dog who just got sprayed by a skunk. And um, so, <laughs> so <laughs> we, we were on the faith journey. We were on the Abraham journey, you know, where Abraham calls God to go. He, and Abraham's like, where? And he's like, I'll tell you when you get there, just start walking. And that's what we were doing, and we were just full of faith and believing God. And so surely, as, you know, so we had our house in New Jersey that we were going to put on the market. We talked to the real estate agents. Surely, this is so God, he would just sell our house and give us some money, right? Not exactly. Not exactly. And surely that we would just waltz out there and be amazing and find jobs in this community, right? Not exactly. So um, as we're going through, oh, you raced ahead of me there. Um, as we're going through, uh, oh, that's the other piece that I needed to see, okay. Um, <laughs> you know our story. Yeah, I, I'm just trying, we're trying to make sure we don't belabor, yes. So um, I actually drove across our country twice because the first time I went out with my family, and then I had to fly back, pack up the whole house, and get a big, huge moving truck and do it the second time. And on the second time across the country, um, I stopped. My parents at that point lived about eh, three or four hours away. And I stopped to say goodbye to them, and they basically bawled me out for the next two hours at the dinner meal uh, because they were telling me how wrong this was and how Bethel's a cult because they've looked it up on the Internet. And I was like, oh, my goodness. I'm like, do you realize that my family is there? And do you see the truck out the window? That's my stuff. 
Okay, you're, you're late. Like, this conversation is way late. It, it's decided we're going. All right, so that's some of the stuff that was happening and swirling. So, yeah, so in the midst of this, I actually had given up my dream home. Um, God had given me, like, the cutest little antique cottage back in New Jersey. I was content to stay there the rest of my life. Hour to New York City, hour to the shore, hour to Philadelphia. I mean, I just had this amazing community. Um, but happily gave it up. So I'm thinking the same thing, like, God, we have just taken this huge leap of faith. Surely you're going to reward it. You're going to sell this house. I used to have people stop by my house and like, would you sell your house? This is the cutest house I've ever seen. Like, please, you know, like if you ever sell this, of course, they didn't leave their number. Hello. Um, so anyway, month, is, month after month is going by, and all of a sudden, my father issues are starting to surface um, because he's in school of ministry. Both of my kids are in school, so that's three tuition payments. We're still paying our mortgage back in New Jersey, and we're paying rent, and I'm the only one working. And my heart is just, you know, father issues are usually related to protection, provision, you know, those types of things. So I'm doing the Bethel thing. I'm declaring I'm God is good, you know, like he's going to do it anyway. He's going to show his parents, you know, this is God. And the longer it goes on, this is the devil. Get out of there. Come home. It's not too late, you know, all this fear stuff. And, uh, and I'm battling my own internal, God, why aren't you selling our house? Everything is going to be fine. We bought low, sold high, you know, the market was still high. Um, so I'm wrestling with this. I, I'm, I had a business that I brought with me, a natura, natural health business I brought with me. So we were s surviving on that. Um, and I finally just got so fed up, he couldn't find a job anywhere that I walk into Macy's and I'm a department store we have, um, translate for me. If I say something, it doesn't make any sense. Um, I sit down, I'm filling out an application on a line and a manager comes out and looks at me and she's like, mind you, three months he hasn't been able to find a job and I'm just doing this out of pure anger, let's be honest. And she comes over, she's like, are you looking for a job? And I'm like, not really. <laughs> She's like, could you come into a group interview? We're holding one in about 15 minutes. Could you stick around? I'm like, so I sit in this room with about 15 people that are all clamoring for jobs. I walk out of there with a job. I'm like so mad. <laughs> I'm so mad. I'm like, God, how could you do this? So I go for months. Um, you know, working at Macy's while they're all having their supernatural experience, my kids and my husband, and I'm like, um, you know, and I'm just, the whole time I'm going, God, all you have to do is sell our house. What is this about? And honestly, the more months go by, the more angrier I'm getting. And finally, at one point, I'm like, God, this is cruel. Like, this feels cruel to me. Like, I already have these father issues where I don't trust you to protect me or to provide for me. Why are you doing this? So I, like, let all the emotions out, this flood of emotions, just being raw and honest, learning that's what you need to do. Like, not to accuse God, but to be honest and to be real and just say, this is what it feels like to me right now, God. Will you answer my heart? So I utter those words on a Sunday morning before church, and I go to church, and Bill, Bill Johnson's sermon is on um, how Jesus sent the disciples out without provision, without, you know, protection, no place to go, and by the way, I'm sending you out as, you know, sheep among wolves, and he's like, one of two things is happening, either God is cruel, or he's got something up his sleeve, and I'm like, yes, <laughs> something to cling to, um, I go to church that night, and Kim Walker was leading worship that night, and she's just singing over and over and over again, you're a good, good father, you're a good, good father, she must have sung it 500 times in a row, I swear. It was 500 times. I'm not <laughs> exaggerating. Um, I get in trouble for hyperbole. Um, so anyway, I'm just weeping, just declaring this with everything I've got. Um, and then Danny Silk gets up, and he does a whole sermon on how, how the enemy will do everything with our circumstances around us to get us to let go of the rope of hope that says God is good. And with that, my heart, like, I started to learn how to tell my soul, like David did. You know, he was constantly telling his soul what to do. 
It was in that season God started challenging me and teaching me how to tell my soul what to do. Not to believe my emotions, but to declare. So I just start declaring with all my heart, you're a good, good father. You're a good, good father. And it's a good thing I worked in cosmetics because I had to replace my makeup every day I went to work. Um, so anyway, there were two, um, two prophetic words, actually, that are really significant to this next piece of the story. Um, somebody had walked in and seen me sitting there, and they said, I see you in this little house, and you're really content with the Lord. You're dancing, and you're so happy, but then the camera pulls back, and you're actually in this little model house. It's not a real house. It's like a dollhouse, and next to it is this real actually real version of a home and they're like you've been content with what you know of God up until now but he wants to move you into the real thing so that was one prophetic word that was significant the other one was somebody walked into pastor's prayer and they're like you're the crane God told me to drive by the crane you know the the bridge they're building in town and look at the crane and she's like you're the crane you've got this little body but you've got tremendous leverage in the spirit. I'm like, ooh, that's a cool word. Like, I'll take that. <laughs> like, um, and I have to say, all along, like, I'm being fed. Like, every time I go to church, I feel his presence. Like, he's just constantly feeding and encouraging us, um, which made such a difference. Um, having people believe in us and understanding we're walking by faith and not by sight and, and just saying, yeah, you're on the right track. You're on the right track. Um, so anyway, I have, those, I have um, those two words. The day after that, I have my breakdown with God. Um, it was a Tuesday morning. I'll never forget. I woke up out of a dream, literally s like pulled up out of my sleep physically with this crane pulling my little house in New Jersey up out of my chest. Like I wake up going, <gasps> like sitting up in my house. Like I said, it was my dream house. It's like hanging by this dirt ball that had been pulled out of my chest. And I'm like, I can smell dirt, literally. I'm like, I don't know what that was, but I think that was good. And all of a sudden, um, God starts talking to me. And my little house, I was so pleased with this little house because I never thought I would own one the way I grew up. Never thought I would ever own a house, first of all. And the way he gave it to me was just a miracle, and I loved it. It was adorable. Um, and uh, what was I going to say about that? Um, oh, I, I was really pleased with the fact it was actually the servants' quarters for the farmhouse next door. And I thought it was so appropriate that we were pastors and we lived in the servants' quarters. So that's what my house represented to me. And all of a sudden, God says to me, I no longer call you my servant. I call you my friend. <laughs> um, I'm on the floor, like, just bawling. Sorry, I just it was such a sweet time with God, and he starts talking to me about why I was so beat up in ministry. Um, excuse me. He gives me the verse uh, in Matthew that says, do not cast your pearls before swine, lest they, and I miss, always miss this piece, lest they turn and trample them and tear you to pieces. And I never caught that, and all of a sudden, the Lord sh started showing me the lies I was believing about my identity, that I was nothing more than a servant, and that it was my job. I had believed that lie. I don't know who else has heard this, but you're the only Jesus some will ever see. Um, that you've got to be Jesus with skin to everybody you come across. And so I was just sacrificing myself on every altar to try to win the loss, to be the good pastor's wife, to be the good daughter-in-law. Um, got really beat up in family life. Um, just being convinced that somehow never would have verbalized this or even understood it, that if they loved me, they would love Jesus. So if I could get people to love me, then they would fall in love with Jesus. And if they didn't love me, then I had done a poor job of representing him. And so God just starts, to, he sh was showing me it was this religious spirit, this poverty mindset that he was just delivering me from. So that was a Tuesday morning after months and months and months, about eight months, um, Friday morning, our house sold, like, just like that, like, yeah, so we're, you know, obviously flying high, got, got it sold before the market crashed, you know, all of this, we're set, man, like, we had so much money, we were gonna be 
great. <laughs> so um, I'll, I'll, tell the, I'll tell this part, then I need to back up again. So um, the, the market wasn't doing very well at that time. And if you put your money in the bank, you would be earning a, a quarter of 1%, which was just ridiculous. And uh, we were flying high on this faith thing, and you know th there were other people around doing these investments and all this thing. So we looked into this investor, and this thing was just golden, all kinds of amazing things. So we invested all of our money with this guy. You know what's coming, right? <clears throat> so he ended up stealing all of it, all of it, and not just, not I mean, uh, I mean obviously, and when, when you get anything stolen, that's a really big deal. But the, the, the money for our first home was given to me by my parents. The down payment was given to me by my parents. So uh, then in our second home, you know, that had grown, and we were able to do a, a bigger down payment on that house, which is the house she's talking about. So it really came from my parents, who were completely opposed to everything that we are doing out at Bethel, and now we've just lost all of their money slash our money. And it was brutal. Um, and, and, and it hurt so bad. Lots of tears, lots of crying. But let, let me just back up a little bit because there's pieces, her story kind of raced ahead there. The, um, you know, she did find the job at Macy's. I couldn't find a job anywhere until one day we were in school and they, uh, we used to have to volunteer for conferences, volunteer to be an usher, volunteer to be a greeter, volunteer for this, volunteer for that, volunteer, volunteer, volunteer. But there's one job you get paid for. And I'm like knocking little girls out of the way to get there, like, that's the job for me. And uh, it was cleaning toilets during the conference at Bethel Church. And so I got on the team. And so at the Open Heavens Conference in October of whatever year that was, that was my first paid job in Redding, California. I cleaned toilets. And shortly after that, they began to put me on this list. They called their reserve worker list. So when they needed extra help, they knew who to call. So I would, I would go to work before school started. I would go to work after, uh, school goes from about 12 to 5, after school to 1, 2, 3 in the morning. Um, you want to know anything about the building of Bethel Church, I can tell you about it. I've been there. Um, so that then became my job, custodian. After 16 years of pastoring a church, two churches, after seven years of higher education, I was qualified to clean the toilets and mop up. It was hard. It was really hard. Uh, I had to deal with my, uh, my, my parents, obviously, and the, my, my family, because they just complete, continuing to say this, how wrong this is. I, I won't go into all that, but that issue was, was dealing, was working on me, yeah, words. Um, so my wife's dealing with her father issues. I, on the other hand, am dealing with uh, fear issues. There's a lot of fear in my family. It's just how they, it's how they function. It's how they operate. I'm sure she's terrified that we're over here. Um, so, <laughs> um, so very interesting. Uh, when we had just moved into Reading, and we had a very nice little house, uh, house that we were renting, and uh, Danielle and the kids had run to the store to go get something. I, we hadn't even, we didn't have our furniture. We were sleeping on the ground. And the neighbors had offered us, they said, hey, do you want a mattress until you get all your stuff? And I'm like, that would be amazing. So it was just in the evening. And uh, I walked out the front door of the house, closed it behind me, and I heard this odd sound. Now, you guys don't have sprinklers out here very much. Do, who needs to water the grass around here, right? <laughs> But we live in like one step removed from the desert, okay? So if you don't remove, if you don't water your grass, so the sound I heard sounded like a sprinkler. Does anybody know what that sound makes when you were, it was a rattlesnake. So I had just, on the front, the front stoop of my house, I had just stepped across a baby rattlesnake. And I turned around and I'm like, are you kidding me? Like it was, it was only about a foot long. They say they're actually more dangerous because they can't control their venom yet, but lovely. So um, long story short, I went to the neighbors like, hey, do, are there rattlesnakes around here? And it's like, oh, yeah, we get them every now and then. And what exactly do you do about it? Because <laughs> he's at my front door and I can't get in, you know. So and long story short, they came over and the lady was actually hilarious. She climbed all, oh, listen to his little tail going, isn't that so funny? And then the other lady comes, they hate bug spray, he was in the bushes. So here's what I'm going to do, I'm going to spray the bug spray this and he'll come out towards you. I'm like, this is not a good plan. <laughs> and they gave me a shovel 
that's all I get for a, you know, so anyway. So that was my first rattlesnake that I got to kill, and I got to overcome some fear. When we moved into our second house in Reading, I'm sitting in, uh, in the living room, and we look out the patio slider door right in the flower bed, and what's crawling through my flower bed? A rattlesnake, but this time a little bit bigger. So then I had to go whack that one on the head and kill it. And I went and showed the people living with us. I'm like, Can, he's like, there's no rattlesnakes around here. You've got to be kidding me. I'm like, well, what's this? He goes, oh, yeah, that's a rattlesnake. When we, we just bought our uh, new house, which we're going to tell you about in a couple of moments, before we left the current house that we're in, guess what my son and I see slithering down the street about a week before we move into our new house? A rattlesnake. And this one a little bit bigger than that one. So every house I have gone into, I've had to do rattlesnake killing. Um, and if you're an animal lover, I apologize. I don't like snakes. I whack the things, okay? So... <laughs> But for me, you see, it, it, it was a symbol of fear. What, what better thing to symbolize fear than a snake? I mean, there's only one thing that people are more afraid of than snakes. You know what that is? Public speaking. <laughs> yep, public speaking. That's number one. Snake's number two. So, um, so but I knew, I knew that God was communicating to me through a prophetic act word that I had to defeat fear and overcome it and that it wasn't as big a deal as I thought it was. You know, so on that third one, we're driving by. I almost sent my son out to do it. I was like, well, that might not. He's 20 years old, 21, 22. I'm like, eh, maybe that's not fair. Maybe I should go whack the snake myself. So, <laughs> so I went out, took care of it. No big deal. We killed the snake. We're defeating fear in our lives as we're moving forward. Oh, did I? Oh, I said that. Um, all right, so we're... we're kind of back to, you know, losing everything, um, kind of a traumatic experience, um, and I get alone with God, um, and I'm talking to him about it, and all of a sudden I hear, not the audible voice, but I hear this voice say, money will become an idol if it's allowed to calm the fears in your heart, and I'm like, oh, like, all of this, God, has been about you pulling lies out of our heart, pulling fear out of us, and I'm realizing anything I use to calm the fear in my heart actually can become an idol. So I'm like, okay, God, and I'm like, I'm mourning, you know, the loss of a home. I'm like, we're never going to own a home again. Like, that was our big chance. His parents were never going <laughs> to do this again. That was our inheritance, and I'm like, God, I just, you know, I'll never have a home again, and he's like, when did you ever want a home when you first came to know me? He's like, all you ever wanted to do was be a missionary in Africa and live in a mud hut. Like, when did this become your ideal? I'm like, what time is it? Okay. Um, so anyway, I'm like, oh, Jesus, I'm so sorry. Like, I'm so, so sorry. Like, you've got a better plan. Um, and uh, anyway, another time, I mean, we just, we went through a lot of emotion with it. Um, there's one day I'm sitting on my back patio and I'm just sobbing over the shame of it, you know? There's just a lot of shame that goes with that. And uh, my daughter walks out with this picture. She'd painted this picture and it was lovely. It was completely black. And then she had taken her right foot and painted gold on the bottom and just stomped all over it. And I'm like, oh, honey, that's lovely. <laughs> it's beautiful. And she's like, mom, that's our circumstances, and that's you dancing over our circumstances. And I'm like, wow. So I go to church that night, and I'm in worship, and I'm forcing myself to worship again. I'm forcing myself to declare his goodness. And all of a sudden, I see that picture that she had painted, and the black all of a sudden becomes this deep valley, and the footprints become a bridge over the circumstances. Um, and again, in that season, it's like, what do you do with the circumstances? You know, how do you, how do you process them? How do you tell your soul what to do? How do you keep worshiping? How do you keep going after him and not get disappointed and discouraged? And I think it, it took a series of, uh, of events, and you know, st that stuff just kind of like builds up. But another key thing, I finally just having trouble, you know, wrestling with stuff, went in to see somebody, and they walked me through this, this thing of the difference between expectation and expectancy. And she was explaining that expectation is, here's my definition of a good father. This is what a good father would do if I were him. 
And if he doesn't do those things, then we get disappointed, we get disillusioned, we get discouraged, we stop asking him for things, and eventually we partner with a spirit of unbelief. Um, you know, and so I was fighting that. I, I genuinely was fighting that. But she was explaining that expectancy is saying, okay, I put all of this aside of what I think God should do in my life right now with my circumstances. And I open up my hand and I say, you know what, you're a met much better father than I can imagine. I am going to sit with expectancy that you've got a plan and you're doing something way better than what I can imagine. So through that, really quick, we've got to kind of race through this. Um, God moved us, supernaturally moved us, amazing God story, out into this kind of cabin in the woods sort of a thing. I end up, the neighbors that lived above the garage, um, she actually was a major intercessor at Bethel, like worked with Benny all the time, one of the happy intercessors, you know, if anyone's ever read that book. Um, she and I become the best of friends. We're praying together all the time, and it's just amazing. I'm just growing in intercession like crazy. And that's how actually that my job <laughs> um, of working with a company in South Africa uh, came about. It was just just has been amazing. My heart was my heart was to growing up after becoming a Christian, like I said, be a missionary in Africa. And I lived honestly through a lot of regret that I had kind of missed it. I'm sure there are some people out there with regret, just feeling like ah, oh, I missed it. Like I disappointed God. I just got off if I had just done this my whole life would be different and I honestly for years I really wrestled with that and here God takes all of this and this is how amazing and creative he is takes all of it and gives me a job praying for an entire continent for a company that's transforming Africa the entire continent at a bringing revival to university campuses and the mining industry so I'm actually going after leaders and doing coaching and ministering and praying. And I mean, I've got the most incredible job in the world. And it's like I get to do a thousand times more than what I ever would have if I'd have done what I thought I was going to do. So I, wanted, I share that piece just to encourage you. God's got dreams for you that are so much bigger than what you can imagine. Like we limit him so much, but he can do 7,000 times more than what we could ask or imagine if we would just hold on to that rope of hope that says he's good and he's got a good plan. So. Meanwhile, um, <laughs> uh, I'm in custodial world and I have worked my way up to a part-time custodian. And after a part-time custodian, I got promoted to a full-time custodian. And after a full-time, <laughs> that's all I did, okay, was clean and vacuum and set up the chairs. And FYI, we have a few more chairs to set up at Bethel Church. One time I had to do them all by myself, 850 chairs by yourself, stacked in sevens. So, <laughs> um, so uh, for five years I was in custodial world. I finally got a different job as a calendar manager. We actually had two full-time people just to manage Bethel world because it's just case, okay? Chaos, craziness, both words at the same time. After eight years, uh, that's what I did. And I would watch as job after job after job opens up in Bethel. And I thought to myself, surely this is mine. Surely this is the one for me. And nothing. nothing. No, nobody calls. All the I have everybody's phone number on my phone. I would see the phone calling me. And I, inside of me, a little, a little leap of hope, maybe this is the call. And, hey, Rich, do you guys have this tool over in the shop? I need it at home this weekend. Yep, come on over. I'll, I'll unlock that and get it for you. And hang the phone up. Time after time after time. I finally got to do uh, a, a little bit of, my passion is teaching. I love to teach. And so I got to teach a little bit. So, so one class at a time. And then after a year of that, I got to teach one other class. And I'm doing two at a time. And uh, I finally reached a point where I, I said, I didn't resign. I didn't give up. But I finally said to the Lord, I said, Lord, um, I, I, I'm sorry, we, we're not here to promote Bethel, but we love our church. Is that fair? So, you know, we're here to promote the kingdom, but we still love our church. And um, I said to God, I said, God, if this is it, if this is the high water mark of Rich Schmidt's career, that he runs the calendar, 
But he gets to be at Bethel Church. And every now and then he gets to do his passion as a volunteer and teach. I said, so be it, God. I, I, that, if that's your call for me, then that's, then that's what it's going to need to I, I receive that. And if that's, that's what it ends up being. And so um, I just said, okay, God. And um, do you want to say a few more things here? What do you want to do here? We want to get to some ministry time. I guess, you know, in that process, too, you know, not only we were struggling with have we failed, what are we doing, God, get us out of here, send us someplace. Um, you know, our son, who's now 22, those six years just, you know, running from God, angry, just, you know, working like crazy to just try to hold on to family and, and get him through this season and stuff. Um, really challenge. We're still believing for a miracle for our son. We have a list of promises, but it's so much easier now to believe him. Like this last season has been about trust. Um, he told me recently, he just said, or this last year, this, is, this year is about trust. And he said, it's impossible to love someone you don't trust. So I'm going to teach you to trust me. Um, and I do that every day with my son. I'm like, God, in the natural, <laughs> I can't see it, but you do. And you've got the promises, and it's amazing. And this, so this last year has been just an amazing year of, of redemption. There's good to the story. Um, two years ago, I was just really praying, crying out, God, would you please move us on? Um, would you please give us a job someplace else? We'll go anywhere. Or give us a home, like something that we can just put down roots that we know where we belong. Um, and just randomly, two years ago, I'm looking online every now and then at houses, and I see this house come up, and I'm like, oh, I love that house. I want to see that house. Like, let's go look at that house. So we're like, sure, why not? We have no money, but let's go look at this house. So we go and look, fall in love with it. It's my house. We put a bid in, ridiculously low. They're like, you know, you're crazy, somebody else got the house. So every now and then I'd drive by and be like, oh, I think that was my house. And um, so anyway, we get back, we were doing trips to South Africa at that time, leading missions trips. And um, we came back a year and a half ago and our landlord says, hey, I need to move back into our home. You know, you've got four or five months to find a place. I'm like, yes, <laughs> movement. And um, so anyway, we, uh, I start looking, and long story short, I get connected with this lady online and at, for another house. I tell her I'm not interested in that. I describe for her what I'm looking for, a house with great bones and a good neighborhood that has to be fixed up. And she's like, well, how about this house? You know, we have this house over here we're trying to sell. Uh, we might possibly, you know, sell this one to buy a ranch. And she gives me the address, and it's the exact same house I had looked at a year previously. No lie. And I'd been praying for a heart for the Reading area. The area code there is 530. Some people refer to it as the Dirty 530. So I was having a hard time loving Reading. Love Bethel, had a hard time loving Reading, but praying that God would give me a heart for it. My address is 530. Chancellor Boulevard. We actually signed the papers on June 11th um, a year ago, exactly one year to the day of the day we walked through the house for the first time. Three weeks later, Rich got called in, um, got called in to the leaders and was just given his dream job on a silver platter. Could not be, they invented it for him, Chris Valentin and Dan Fairley just like, here's what we want you to do. You're the lead Bible and theology teacher. We're hiring you to write books and to communicate Bethel's theology to the world and to make it the best theology department in the universe. <laughs> so no small job. I mean, a week later, a couple days later, actually, I got a job with a coaching, this, this leadership coaching thing I'd been wanting to be a part of. I mean, God is just in the business of redeeming circumstances. He's in the business of redeeming every single area of your life. Um, what he's about is like, I remember just saying, God, why couldn't you have just answered my prayers for some of these things when I needed it? And he's like, he's like, there were so many lies at the bottom of your soul that if I'd have put those answers on top of those lies, it would have distorted everything. Like you'd have been right back there where you were. It's like holes in the bottom of your soul where everything would have just leaked right out. He's like, it was more important that I went after the lies and extracted those and revealed to you the truth of who I am before I can 
go giving you everything my heart desires to give you. So I just encourage you, like in your circumstances, like we've learned, we just have to lean into the circumstance. Like if something keeps coming at you over and over and over again where it feels God is cruel, he's up to something. He's got something up his sleeve. So the, the need to just lean into that and just go, okay, Jesus, I'm believing a lie here. You're not the problem. You want to go after that thing, but the enemy's doing everything he can possibly do to convince you it's God causing the bad things to happen when it's actually God's love putting pressure on those places to expose where the enemy has been ravaging, stealing, killing, and destroying. So I just want to, I'm, I'm hoping this encourages you to just look at your circumstances differently to believe God is so much better than you can ever imagine that he is. He's doing a thousand times more than what you can think or imagine. He's got dreams for you. If you've lost hope, if you've lost your dreams, he's still in the business of creating. He loves to create. He's still a creator. He can take anything out of anybody's life, how, how ugly, how pitiful it is. He sees gold, and he just wants to bring that forth but he's you know he's a good dirt sifter he, he's good at pulling the impurities out so that he can put his spirit I'll never forget somebody saying you know why are, he was saying to me or to a friend I it's fuzzy I can't even remember who he was talking to but you know why are you so focused on where you're gonna live when I'm focused on where I'm where I'm going to live inside of you so Anyway, we want to lead you in a little bit of an account encounter time. Just um, we've discovered, um, you know, to ask God questions um, is is really a clever thing. But most of us, I know, I spent a lot of my time asking business questions. God, where am I supposed to live? Who am I supposed to marry? What's my job supposed to be? We call those business prayers. And I don't know if anyone has noticed this, but He doesn't love to answer those questions always he's usually avoiding those questions but what he does love to answer are lover prayers our heart prayers and so we're actually going to lead you in just sitting in your chair this is going to be our ministry time we want jesus to minister to you and we're just going to ask him some different questions not the business prayer so put those aside and let's just quiet our hearts and just ask him some questions does that sound like a good plan Um, so actually A.W. Tozer says what you believe about God is the most important thing about you Um, what you believe A.W. Tozer says what you believe about God is the most important thing about you and what you believe about God will actually come through in your supernatural ministry, whatever ministry you do. What you believe about God is what's going to come through. If he's judgmental, if he's harsh, if he's withholding, that's going to come through. So let's just um, ask him, God, is there a lie right now <laughs> that you would like to expose that I am believing about you? Okay, are you hearing anything? Just give me a little, are you hearing stuff? Okay. Okay, now ask him this, Jesus, what's the truth? Okay, another one. Jesus, is there a lie I'm believing about myself that you would love to nail the enemy to the wall right now <laughs> by exposing the, this, this core lie I'm believing about myself?
Okay, still getting stuff? Okay, and what's the truth? Jesus, what is the truth about how you see me and how you love me? I'm going to go through these kind of quickly. What, what time do we have to start cleaning up? It's, yeah, what, what time? So here's one. Um, God, you felt cruel to me in this particular area of my life. Will you show me what you have up your sleeve? How about God? I feel like I've missed it in this area of my life. What is the truth? What does your hope look like for me? And don't be discouraged if you're not hearing anything. God, Jesus loves to answer our questions. We just need to change the question. Um, he wants to talk to the desires of our heart. He wants to talk to the core of our being to get to know us and us to know him. So even if you're not hearing anything in this context, go home, go out to the lake, go or to the shore, go wherever, find your quiet place, the garden, and just start asking questions, journal it. <laughs> I journal all the time, all the time. And one last one, Jesus, what do you love about me today? Okay. Did you guys hear? Who's encouraged? <laughs> How, I don't know if we want to hear one or two. How do you want to wrap this up? Do you have an idea? Okay. Thank you guys so much. Thank you for being honest with us, for sharing um, the realities of, of life as a faith-filled people that just believe and go after everything that God has for them. I, can you see why we love these guys? <laughs> it's, it's their raw honesty that, um, that draws us closer to them and just, we just want to identify with them more and more. Um, we, we would love to just finish with a bit more worship, if that's all right. Oh, where's Lynn gone? Oh, you're there. 